This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Promise me, son, not to do the things I've done. Walk away from trouble if you can. It won't mean you're weak if you turn the other cheek. I hope you're old enough to understand. Son, you don't have to fight to be a man. Kenny Rogers, coward of the county. Rest in peace, Kenny Rogers, who died yesterday at the age of 81. This is Shake Them Ropes, Jeff Hawkins and Chris Novembrino. Uh, Chris, Kenny Rogers, big part of my life, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at his music. Um, because my dad loved him. And this was during the days of AM Gold Country, where you had Kenny Rogers and Ronnie Millsap and Eddie Rabbit and Barbara Mandrell and Crystal Gale all over the airwaves. My dad would play Kenny Rogers' greatest hits over and over and over again. And he's a great songwriter. He really is. He's a really good songwriter. I mean, you look at the stuff from the first edition, from, uh, yeah, the first edition. Which is uh, things like the most famous of, the, of his songs would probably be the there is their first hit. Uh, just dropped in to see what condition my condition was in, which was on the uh, soundtrack of the Big Lebowski, uh, and it's funky. And he, he he has a little funk in him. He has a little soul in him. He has a little uh, folk in him. They're running voices through a Leslie, which is really cool. Yeah, like but if you read like the lyrics to, I was I was listening to a Ruby Don't Take Your Love to Town. That is the darkest song I think I've ever read the lyrics for. It's about a Vietnam vet whose wife is running around cheating on him. And if he could, he, but his legs don't work well enough to reach his gun in order to shoot her. It is some dark, dark stuff. But I mean, he, I mean, if you grew up in the early eighties, big part of your, because this is before they had separate country charts as well, I believe. I mean, Kenny Rogers was all over the airways with the gambler and, uh, and lady, which, uh, which was written for him by one Lionel Richie and Kenny Rogers is really responsible for Lionel Richie's solo career after leaving the Commodores. Um, because he basically said, Hey man, this guy can write, give him a shot at doing a solo career. Now you've got my mind worrying on, there's like an interesting column to be written, about the splitting of the pop charts and how that kind of created less I think, cultural. I think I'm right on no, that. No, I no, no. I think wrong. that's right. Yeah, I yeah. Might... Like I think not having those cultural touchstones um, on the pop charts as much, where you have country songwriters trying to write stuff that'll chart on the pop rock charts because that's the only chart there is. Well, it's it's weird because in the early '80s you had this crossover all the time. With, with, right. with hits because yeah i mean like i said king roger i remember uh eddie Ro- eddie rabbits driving my life away and i love a rainy night uh crystal gales don't make my brown eyes blue i mean you had country people charting all the time and it kind of continued a little bit through the mid 80s after there was a little bit more separation with like uh the oak ridge boys elvira was a huge pop hit in like 1984 i think it was and then it just kind of stopped until basically Shania Twain or Garth Brooks. Yeah, I was going to say Garth Brooks, a little yeah. bit of Alan Jackson, a little, a little bit. bit of uh, Vince Neil. 
Not Vince Neil. Uh, Vince. No, uh, uh, Vince. Uh, oh, I know you're the Amy Grant's husband. Yeah, yeah. Because he had he had a very kind of distinct voice that had a little bit of a crossover. He had that Roy, or- he had that Roy Orbison thing going. Yeah. Oh man, I can't think of his Vince, Vince Gill. Yeah. Hey, no, we both thought of it at the same time. We should do a radio <laughs> show together sometime. Yeah. Uh, I, I didn't realize I, I had forgotten. Uh, there, there are two factoids about Kenny Rogers I had forgotten. Number one was that he was originally part of the New Christie Minstrels, which were big and hippie times for doing uh, This Land is Your Land. <laughs> and Hell had like yeah, a number one brother. hit on it. Uh, the other thing yeah. was. Uh, Pertinent to my interests, um, the drummer for the first edition was character actor Mickey Jones. Um, I, the name probably doesn't ring a bell with you. I, I met Mickey Jones once because I'm friends with uh, a character actor's family, a uh, character actor by the name of Barry Corbin, who's now on this season of Better Call Saul. He's the old guy. He, he played the old sheriff in No Country for Old Men. Uh, he was in Northern Exposure. He was the general in War Games. Uh, he was also in Lonesome Dub, but Mickey Jones was a friend of the family, and I had met him a couple times at uh, their house. Mickey Jones um, always appeared in movies with Michael Ironside, another great character actor. And if, if you look up Michael Ironside, you'll know immediately who I'm talking about. Um, he was in V, and uh, Michael Ironside's most famous role was probably uh, uh, the uh, Total Recall with Arnold Schwarzenegger. He was the guy hunting down Schwarzenegger, trying to find him for Ronnie Cox. But uh, yeah, he the character. Yeah, uh, Mickey Jones played drums for Bob Dylan back in the day. He he replaced Levon Helm in 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 that band. It, it, it's just it's just some weird interconnections that uh, this is this is for talk for me and Andrew Rich, Chris. This is a wrestling show. I apologize for going off on that tangent. <laughs> I mean, I could get into crossover stuff, less on the country crossovers, but when you're talking like 80s crossovers, I'm always thinking like Paul McCartney and Michael Jackson, Stevie Nicks and Tom Petty. A lot of crossover artists back then. The Traveling Wilburys get together. It's like in the 80s, that was a thing you did. Rogers uh, redid We Got Tonight with Sheena Easton. How's that for a duet? <laughs> yeah, oh, David Bowie and Freddie Mercury. Get, get a little bit of that going on. Oh, so David Bowie and Bing Crosby will always be the one that, <laughs> with the little drummer boy. That, that one was always. Uh, <laughs> oh, Chris, things you are also brewing. Got that great, you got that great Christmas album, too, A Very Special Christmas, which was oh, like geez. nothing but crossovers. Yeah, oh, Do come on now. Know it's Christmas time at all. Yeah. <laughs> and then get the whole world together to make a super band. The 80s were really awesome, Jeff. Well, actually, yeah, like We Are the World. World. Kenny Rogers and Willie Nelson were both on that record. This is when rock was saving the planet. What is yeah. rock doing now? Nothing. It's just <laughs> sitting on its damn hands. Twitter videos to keep us to, to let us know that hey, we'll all get through this together. <laughs> just like shut up. We want yeah, less no, of you. rock was saving us in the eighties, and now a bunch of celebs are making crappy versions of Imagine that's out of tune. <laughs> At least sing it in the same key, for the love of God. Oh God, that video is terrible. No, and it's imagine, the worst. It's the and imagine it unified the country. It's a brutal song. Um, but yeah, it's just not a very like inspired Lennon song. But um, <laughs> th- that particular rendition is god awful. Impress me and do whatever gets you through the night. That- <laughs> <laughs> that might be a little bit too far down, <laughs> not in the oeuvre, but that's uh, Lennon and Elton John. 
singing together. Um, yeah, so we are in week two of weird, empty stadium slash studio wrestling. Uh, Chris, I realize I, I made a bit of a leap in logic that I had forgotten about when I was really hoping for studio wrestling because I realized if you put 10 to 15 people in a very closed space, if one of them's infected, everybody could be infected by the end of that taping. So maybe it's maybe the way AEW did it in an empty open air arena is the right way. I don't know. I don't think anybody really knows, but what'd you think of their presentation this week? I thought that their show was substantially better than NXT show. I just really? thought if yeah, no, I thought okay. that AEW had a little bit more of a man, I kind of wish I was getting to hang out in this empty arena watching ringside vibe. I, I liked the little gimmick with MJF and Sean Spears betting on stuff. Like they actually kind of created a less bombastic vibe wwe is still trying to make everything seem really big and wacky see the gronkowski entrance but like the gronkowski entrance is insist on a much larger disease oh my god um i liked aew's presentation i liked to the as i as i wrote to you when i watched it hey look they have our legion of doom idea going on on one side where all the heels are just kind of plotting together and gambling on matches um, yeah i liked the archer thing too archer trained to kill cody as well um i i liked it i didn't love it exactly because like i i still think both shows are playing far too much to empty arena aspects of it versus making a television show where you're not aware of it and uh, this I, is why I liked the Archer bit. I thought the Archer bit was much closer to a Lucha Underground style presentation, which is where I think that both these companies need to be going to. You can do these bits. They're probably a little safer to tape because you're you're in an yeah. isolated area that's not public space. I think it makes Jake look awesome. He gets a little bit more kind of that grizzled thing that maybe isn't necessarily there under the bright lights of the arena in the ring. With the camera, you can make it smaller, more intimate, um, and, and really kind of lean into what makes Jake Jake. Uh, I, so I actually liked the Archer bit a lot. I thought that that was a, a step in the right direction. I haven't seen it yet, but apparently this is lifted from the uh, Shia LaBeouf movie, The Peanut Butter Falcon, um, a lot, which has a lot of wrestling crossover in it because I think Jake and Mick Foley are both in it as well. Um, I, I haven't seen that movie yet, but I may this weekend just to see what they're talking about. But apparently a lot of this skit was lifted from, or at least it was an homage to it, which I also dig. I don't mind that. Uh, Brody Lee, the former Luke Harper is the exalted one for the dark order. Uh, I liked his promo. I liked his entrance. I liked, uh, I liked everything about that. Mostly. I I don't, it's, it's interesting casting for me. Yeah, it's interesting casting. I don't know that I love the Dark Order storyline still. Uh, like, I'm still kind of cold on it, and I feel the Daniels' turn coming. Maybe that's a bait and switch. Maybe they're not going to do that. Maybe Daniels is just going to get obliterated. But uh, I, I don't. Something's keeping me from sinking my teeth into this storyline. Although that's not to take away from Brody Lee's promo, which was good. I think Evil Uno does what he needs to do really, really well. Uh, it's just 
like I don't know, something's still not landing for me with the Dark Order stuff. I I keep thinking Brody Lee may be a red herring for the real leader. I mean, but this will give him a push to see if he has that kind of capabilities to carry a stable, which I like. Uh, the one thing I am uncertain of is I am uncertain about Matt Hardy, a for better or worse, a sports entertainment slash comedy character fitting in to this blood and guts match that they're going to do next week. I just don't know. I, I don't see it fitting into the same tone in terms of in terms of main event seriousness. You know, it's kind of like putting Jimmy Boogie Woogie Man Valiant in a War Games match. I, I just it it doesn't. I think fit you for can me. get Matt there. I, I think it's not quite the Boogie Woogie Jimmy Valiant. You can it, get him there, but talk about the man from New York. <laughs> I don't. I don't think we're there with Matt Hardy. But the, that guy was really over with that gimmick too. That's um, true. Yeah, but um, I, I think that with Matt, if you want to get him into a blood and guts hardcore thing and kind of bring him back to his TLC roots, I think you've got to earn it a little more. And right now, when people think about Matt Hardy, and especially his new acquisition, Matt Hardy, especially given the way WWE misused him, what people want is like a little bit of a revisitation to the delete. We, we want to do the delete stuff for a minute. My only issue is they don't have time to build to rebuild that character because the match is Wednesday. So you're you're throwing him directly in there. Uh, I assume he's right, going to be right. I, I assume he's going to be the reason the baby faces lose this match. And then Hangman probably turns heel after that. Oh my god, I loved Adam hands wash page. That was funny. <laughs> I loved Brandy Rhodes's wink and nod to her uh to her former ring announcing career, and and she she swore she'd never do this again, which was on her uh, her Chiron. I, I <laughs> she just kind of shrugs her shoulders and goes, "This match." I just laughed and laughed and laughed at that. I thought that was fantastic. I am going to disagree with you though. I liked NXT's move this week, and I'll tell you why. I know that they got they got hammered in the ratings, and you figure they would if they're not a new show people are going to click off that have already seen all this build. But the audience for NXT right now is four times what it was on the network. The people you lost are basically the 200,000 people a week who have already seen all this on the network. And so you are basically storytelling this feud from beginning to end for people who just started watching when WWE decided to throw a new product on, on cable television. And for what it was, I thought it was very, very well done. I would have much rather they spoke into the camera than to a, you know, invisible interviewer. But I thought this was a shrewd move to keep the 500 to 600,000 people who hadn't seen this on the network um, engaged but, in the product. Yeah, I, I get it. But uh, then I go, if it's me. Sitting at home, and both of these two things are on my TV at the same time. That NXT show, I would have watched them like, oh, this shit. Clicked over and saw Cody Rhodes crushing it on a promo to open up AEW. AEW was just a much stronger, more watchable product. And I get what you're saying in terms of functionality. That show served that function, but it missed the function of being a good, watchable show. I... I disagree there. I, I think you're one of the 200,000 who had already seen all this stuff. So I don't think you needed it. And I understand. Trust me, I understand your mentality. 
I, w- I watched AEW live because I had seen all that stuff before anyways as well. So I'm one of the 200,000 as well. But for the 600,000, especially who you're trying to hook on this product, I don't I don't see this as a negative thing to have lost that badly in the ratings if you're going to keep them on. And oh, if you can get them back next week. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, no, yeah. if you can get them back. But now what you've done is push people like me into, uh, oh, let's see what AEW's up to next week. It seems like they kind of at least got a sense of how to do a presentation on this so long as they can hold in this pattern, and who knows what production limitations will be in the coming weeks here. I think we know what we need. We need two hours of Jack Evans on the mic. I think that's what AEW really... Oh. So let's, uh, let's get into a little bit of news here. Late last week, um, so late that I decided not to get into it, It appears Triple H has had a stealth demotion in the company, taking away uh, the title of creative from his title, and he is now executive vice president of global talent relations, I believe is is the name of his title. Uh, Some are saying that it's hearsay to say that it's a demotion. Others are saying it's true. I liked Triple Triple H's little snipey line on commentary last week. Triple H said something about on commentary, so it it, it could go either way. Only guy that's ever been demoted and does more work. Yeah. um, But but Vince does this. I mean, he he demoted his own daughter from creative back in the day. If if they're losing a show like NXT to, to AEW, or he's not happy with the people that NXT is sending him for the main roster or whatever. He's going to view it as Triple H's failings, or at least look, it, it working for Vince is a lot like working for Captain Quig from the Kane mutiny. Some days the ship's going to run well. And some days you're going to be spending hours wondering who stole the extra strawberries from the tin while, <laughs> while everything's sinking around you. So I could just see this as just Vince doing power plays with his own family. Cause he does that crap too. I, I just, I don't know enough to know if this was really a demotion, but, so, but a bunch of people asked, why did you mention anything about it? So I am now mentioning it. Yeah, I I think it's a reaction to the fact that AEW is routinely outperforming NXT on the TV ratings. And Vince sees that there is something that isn't clicking with the NXT product. He's diagnosed that symptom. Now, the the problem is, as the problem is with the uh, WWE main roster, is that it's not Hunter. You know, it's the... A lot of the conventions that populate WWE sensibilities, their presentation is very bright and big and, and, and is always the amp turned up to 10 and the gain turned up to 10. Um, whereas you know, Lucha Underground, AEW, other brands have found a way to present wrestling at a, a lower gain level so that when you turn it up, it feels louder. Also this week, in, in light of the... Uh COVID-19 virus going around. WrestleMania is going to be two nights taped. Uh, take oh, I over. just thought it was too big this year. I, I, I didn't realize <laughs> that it had anything to do. Oh, this is this is a news thing, huh? No, no, Chris, you're exactly right. It was so huge. <laughs> People were it was so, so big outside of outside market forces and everything. Gosh, you know, we had to cancel that stadium show and we just decided to make this a whopping huge, big, 
big fat two night extravaganza moving NXT takeover to Wednesday for their weekly TV show. Um, well, you're going to need an apex predator of a host then to come in and, and, and really steer the festivities over slow those down, two days. Slow down. Jeff. Slow down. We'll get there. We'll get there. All right. We'll there. All right. Because I, I want to know who it is. Um, apparently, it will be taking place not just for the Performance Center, but from multiple locations. Hell yeah. <laughs> Arby's WrestleMania. Arby. <laughs> From Vince, from in front of Vince's pool in Stamford, Connecticut, <laughs> WrestleMania. Oh, I think they're going to get a lot of taped matches. An actual um, Pier Six brawl on <laughs> Pier Six. Yes, you have to find a Pier Six somewhere, or or a Pier One Imports plus five. I'll take that as well. <laughs> um, oh, that was such a bad joke. Okay, uh, yeah, I think they're gonna. I think they're gonna basically. They may bring in a bunch of extras and have them sign waivers and do Drew versus Brock in front of an audience. I think that might happen. Just to create some sort of semblance of... We've made a new star. Okay, yeah, because it's going to be really hard to get Drew anywhere in... Unless he defeats Brock Lesnar. Um, Unless he beats Brock Lesnar, there is no way... Drew gets any sort of reflective glory from that match. Right. Um, my favorite subversive thing is Pam, Aunt Pam and Sasha on their Twitter basically say, hey, we're main eventing the pre-show this year. Suck it, everybody. <laughs> it's my favorite form of of employee subversion right now is, is, is those two saying, yeah, I guess the SmackDown women's title is, is going to be main event in its own pre-show. Look at us. I'm, I'm like, good for you. Keep fighting the good fight. They're having fun being miserable. Yeah, but like you can also kind of tell like they're not, you know, the, the, they're this not is nothing. Happy. They're you know they're not sinking their teeth into this at all. I couldn't although, blame them. Although Aunt Pam was fantastic on her promo against Paige, I, I thought that was the best she's looked as a heel. But like it, that's the whole they're having. The story fun. is stupid, but yeah. right, they're having fun being miserable. Like they don't love doing this, but like they're finding ways to you know at least have a little bit of fun because they're getting to work together. You know what I mean? It's like when you and your friend have a job you don't like, but you like each other, and it's less crappy doing that thing with the other person. Like that's where they're at right now. And uh, finally, for the news section, ESPN will be showing three uh, WrestleManias on on their channels starting on Sunday nights uh, because ESPN needs to fill content as well. And this is a nice little crossover thing. Maybe Maybe you get some fans, although the ESPN audience that likes wrestling is significantly smaller than one might think it is. What they need to do on ESPN is get access to like the global wrestling stuff. Uh, that seems to be maybe a better fit on ESPN. They own than, that still, I think. Yeah, or, I think they do. No, because oh, I no, they don't. One, no, they don't. No, they don't. I know. No, I no, they think they did. Yeah, but at one WWE point, I did have yeah. to refeed global on ESPN um, back in the day. Yeah, like, they were playing it on Classic. They were playing AWA right, on Classic right. as well. Although ESPN Classic no longer exists, so. <laughs> oh, the main roster this week. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. They did some things that were actually quite good. 
and then they just did bottom of the barrel garbage. Where should we begin, Chris? I know you're champing at the bit to do it, so let's do it. Rob Gronkowski is going to be your host for WrestleMania. Chris, go ahead. I mean, what can one say about a guy as charismatic as Rob Gronkowski? The theme song is killer. The entrance, oh man, they they just gave him all the best moves. Like, how's anyone going to get over again with Gronk coming out there and stealing all of the best gesticulations to the crowd? That grinding thing on the post? My goodness, that was sexual. And the pairing with... Mojo Raleigh, dynamic. It's, uh, I'm trying to think, Abbott and Costello meets the Marx Brothers, meets FDR and Churchill working together, (laughs) Um, uh, Neil Armstrong and the other guy. If you could take the worst aspects of we're just out here having fun and put them together in a segment, and then take the worst aspects of scripted promos and taking away everybody's personality and put them in this segment. They did this. Gronk is a meathead, and I say that lovably, but he is also one of the biggest stars they've ever had on this program, next to Ronda Rousey, probably. Maybe uh, early earlier career uh, uh, Bradley Cooper, but... Um, yeah, he comes out, he's he's doing the weirdo dance that, hey. Yeah, he's we, wacky zany guy. He's already, he's already yeah, at that he's, phase. Yeah, he's top hat monocle, cane, showing off his moves to show you he has personality. It was like he was from Night at the Roxbury. It made him look like a smaller star than he really is. Oh, yeah. As no, opposed dude, to being I, one of the toughest. I, and then he gets in the ring and he cuts... That's a Vince promo, man. The verbiage, the pacing, the spaces. You know, it, it was almost like he wanted people to chant what in between every single thing he said. They decided to reamp Mojo into NXT version Mojo from back in the uh, when he was in the Battle Royale that Gronk got involved in. They totally got rid of all his other character development they've done since then, as limited as that was. I just think this was a miss on every level. I don't think you could mishandle Rob Gronkowski worse. And on the last show, I made the comment of, it will be real interesting to see how Rob Gronkowski handles having to deliver abject crap on WWE television. And he knuckled through it this week, but that guy, as you said, a meathead as in an athlete, but people are going to give him the reviews. He is going to know that he looked goofy. If you gave him the cold choice of, are you, would you rather this exist or not exist? Would you rather your debut on WWE television have been badass or Squaresville? I think he would have chosen badass, not Squaresville. (laughs) Yeah, but (laughs) I, I just thought of something. You put this in the context of his New Year's Eve performance. Did you see this? No, no, I did not. I think it was a kid. I don't know if that's right, but someone built this Lego giant head of Steve Harvey and and it looked like, and it it had to take thousands of hours to build it up and present to him as a gift. And and Gronk the meathead goes up there and just spikes it on the ground. (laughs) Because Gronk gonna Gronk. And (laughs) 
And I just, I go, you know, <laughs> he's had more embarrassing times on Fox. Maybe this, maybe this isn't it. Maybe this isn't the low point. Maybe we haven't hit rock bottom just yet. The way he's being presented is like if I was presenting him. And you know, I don't watch much, if any, football at all. I catch maybe one game every two years. I, I feel like I would be presenting him better, though. Yeah. Uh, so do we want to go... Negative or positive next, because I have about uh, no, four let's different go positive. Things. Let's go positive. I've got a positive. I have one, so too. <laughs> I thought the Daniel Bryan and Drew Gulak match against Shinsuke Nakamura and Cesaro was a real step in the right direction for the in-ring style of work that is going to be necessitated in this empty arena, no audience era. Because that action was good, brisk, stiff, and kept my eyes engaged and didn't have that WWE fakeness to it. I thought Michael Cole was great calling it, too. I, I do. I, I mean, he's people give him crap when he goes when he has Vince in his ear, but it sounded like, he didn't have a lot of people in his ear on this one. Um, I really like this match as well. I like that Daniel Bryan and his friends basically get the first hour of SmackDown every week to play with in their own world. They get to fantasy book their own stuff and I'm perfectly fine with it. Yeah. I think it's really good. What you got is drew going to, is drew going to turn. Is Drew going to be the I one? I hope story? he doesn't. I hope so I hope too. They be, I hope they become like super good buddies and you could turn them down the road here, maybe have them have like a SummerSlam match or something, but I wouldn't turn them for a minute. I don't either. I, I and I like I like this uh <laughs> this this odd stable of Cesaro, Nakamura and Sami Zayn works for me. It does. Cuz Nakamura all he does is make faces at people. Cesaro's kind of the heavy and 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 Sami's the uh Sammy's the 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 spokes hole for them, and they have a they have a really nice dynamic among them. Yeah, they do. No, I I think that this whole angle works really well. I'm excited to see any number of these matches. Like when they're like, well, next week Drew Gulak's gonna have a match against Shinsuke Nakamura. I was like, that's gonna be cool. I'm looking forward to that. Cool. Uh, negative or positive? Uh, hit me with the negative. That Stone Cold segment on the end of Raw was one of the worst things ever. And it started as it popped me for being so weird. And then it got into such anti-comedy. It was terrible. Have you seen this? Oh yeah, no, I saw it. It was really, really bad. Uh, like when Byron, when, Byron fir- when Byron first comes on and goes, hell yeah. I laughed my ass off. Admittedly. Byron is good as like the absolute pure straight man Jim Arbuckle character. And then but, they went hard into Stone Cold doing shtick in the crowd to, to an empty audience. And I just went, was this written four weeks ago and we just couldn't edit it anymore? What the hell are you doing? Because you're making Stone Cold into a geek now. Steve needs to protect the gimmick a little yes. bit. At a certain point, get rid of the script, dude. Go like, okay, this isn't going to work. I'm going to just take control of the mic, take control of the situation, work us up to the Byron stuff, go through some of those. Byron can probably play along because all he has to do is keep repeating the same gag. He can edit it down and fast forward to the punchline here of come on down to the ring, Byron. Uh, No, there was a way for Stone Cold to save this segment, and I was more surprised than anything that Stone Cold was willing to just go out there and take the beating. Yeah, I uh, 
<laughs> Byron got kicked right in the ding dong. I mean, just that had to hurt. Um, I, I think I think how bad Stone Cold looked here, though, also made Becky look bad. The and Becky sp- thing at the end, too, when they do the exchange, where it's like, That's the last time you gave me a stunner, uh, you know, or the last time you kicked me in the balls or whatever. I, I mean, I someone needed to get a stunner after you do that kind of setup. That's what narrative, like, joke construction dictates. Well, well, and then if if you watched the uh, the the post show on the net, uh, not on the network, but on the internet, the uh, the street profits came down and got stunned by Stone Cold because because somewhere in WWE canon, it's an honor to take a stunner from Stone Cold as opposed to protecting your gimmick as two crowd hot baby faces. I just I I I wretched at everything about this. The, the answer to me to get out of that segment there was both Becky and Steve look to do the stunner on one another, catch each other at the same time, and, like, both ah, laugh. Yeah. yeah. Just, oh, okay. Props to you. And then they both stun Byron again. I don't know. Yes, Maybe you're right, right. That. And then they pick up Byron and stun him. Exactly. No, that that's how you get out of that and protect everyone's gimmick. Um, I, I just, I that did not land for me at all. All right, I have three positives and one negative left. What do you want to go with? Uh, hit me with a positive. The final moment of the heavy machinery versus Miz and Morrison match was some of the best acting that WWE has had in ages. I loved it. If if Otis had taken his blind rage a little higher, but if you've ever been cheated on, or if you've ever had someone break your heart like that, and and just that moment where after hitting guys with chairs, he crumples into Tucker's arms and starts crying, it was friggin' beautiful, Chris. It was great, dude. These guys are great. I I, don't, I hope that it's appreciated what Tucker and Otis bring in terms of talent. But uh, I, I think- feel like every week we've been giving them praise, and it was initially. Okay, the ring work and the power stuff's great. Okay, Otis is is pretty funny. Hey, Tucker Knight, he's pretty athletic. And, and like the more this fleshes out, like these guys are, they're really really talented at this. They're really think, really good at this. I think people are already there with Otis because he's the you know he's a lovable big guy who gets you know who who gets pops for doing weird moves and being you know funny and stuff. I don't think enough's being said about Tucker in terms of how good he is as being the friend who's trying to get Otis through this, but Otis is just so heartbroken that everything he does is dominated by the thought that that Dolph and Mandy are together and she and he was in love with her. Because that is exactly how a guy it's like you can't control a guy whose heart is broken. You can be there for him. And after a while, it gets exhausting being there if that person won't get past it. But just that final moment where where he's like he's angry and then he just starts sobbing was it was so good. It was so frigging good. And unfortunately, it was stuck in the morass of this show. Yeah, like this should have been the end of the show. Uh, that would have been a great way to end the show. You know too. what's funny is is this is where the empty arena helped. Oh yeah, because if he does that in a full crowd or whatever, you don't get the emotion of it. 
You can't really you get the emotion out of the screams, like like yeah. the where you really hear the guy's heart in the screams. He's yeah. not even saying words; it's just anger and pain articulated into audible sound. No, exactly. I mean, it is. I mean, it, it's one of those things that where you take advantage of not having all that aud- audible, you know, just white noise around it, and you get to hear somebody actually emote, and it was it was just actually it was fantastic. I loved it. Okay, two negatives or two positives, one negative. Hit me with the negative. Um, the Miz and Morrison segment preceding this is the if your mom or girlfriend or wife walks in the room and sees this, will you be embarrassed to be watching it? It was, uh, I'm not sure. See, I, I put this under negative, but I don't know. I don't know if I should be as hard on it as I am being. What did you think of it? I didn't like it. I, I the Miz and Morrison stuff. I, I think what Miz and Morrison need to be doing kind of obviously is kind of, I, I keep invoking Lucha underground, but I keep thinking about it more given the current uh, environmental situation that we're in. But these two guys really should be making like little mini movie style promos rather than doing this like TV show thing in, in the ring. It should be backstage and glammed and glitzed up. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I just, I was like, Oh, Oh, this is bad. <laughs> and then it kind of got good for a little bit, and then it got bad again, and you're just like... There's points where it hits. Like, the Miz and Morrison clearly like each other, and they have good chemistry, and the Miz on a microphone, even with bad material, can only ever be so bad because he is that talented. And Morrison is a very good foil for somebody and like when Morrison's engaged he can't carry the whole promo but like he can be the funny one-liner kick in his two cents guy and he fits really well in that role like this team makes a lot of sense for what WWE is as a brand and the type of work product they do I don't think that they're making the most of the team though for positives Alexa Bliss grabbed the mic away from Kayla looked into the camera and cut a pro wrestling promo and I loved it. I absolutely loved this. <laughs> hey, you don't have to sneak up on me. I'll be in. I'll be in the building next week. Come, come, come get some. I, I was like, this is this is what I want. I want people talking into the camera and and just saying, "Come fight me." That this was awesome. Yeah. No. Uh, the only note I have on Alexa Bliss is I, I think she just go even more into the babyface thing, especially with the way the division's being kind of yeah. reoriented. I think she should just go edgy. You know, she's got an attitude or whatever, but like her and Nikki are friends, and she's a babyface. Don't don't yeah. worry about splitting them up at this point. Yeah. The problem is they're going real hard in the Nikki being. It's a little too charactery right now because yes. Nikki's playing up the uh, oh I'm the overexcited spastic friend who she doesn't really like but she's my best friend kind of thing. I I I'd much rather this be more two friends with each other at this point and have it actually be a relationship that actually matured versus being the same thing it was from the onset. Yeah, absolutely. No, they they need to have a dynamic and it doesn't feel like they really have. A dynamic so much as it is Nikki's working a character. And then, Chris, finally, I will pay an extra dollar a month to the WWE Network if they give me just a feed of Asuka doing commentary during matches. I don't care. It has gone from sublime to ridiculous 
to the highest form of art possible. I don't know how Andrade and Ray kept a straight face because you know they had to be able to hear oh, you had every to hear single thing time. that yeah. she was screaming <laughs> this whole time. I know that Vince did it just to get out there and have Lawler do his dumbass soft racism shtick, but Lawler held back somewhat and kind of played with the gimmick. I mean, look, bad translation is is a bad bit, but it's better than what it could have been. Oscar was just yeah, I, you know, insane, I, I, and I let's loved stop it. there real quickly. I want to give Lawler some modest credit because okay. a different Jerry Lawler. 15, 20 years ago would have been going into corny territory with that. She says she needs more soy sauce for her sushi. (laughs) Yes. But the Lawler, I mean, look, it's a ridiculous setup and you have to react to uh, like the rules of comedy, like standard comedy. You have the wacky person, the zany person doing something zany. The straight man is supposed to react to it. Otherwise you just have like, non sequitur chaos on the stage and you're moving into like high artville or something like that. I could, I, but I could see Ray and Andrade getting in a headlock and just like do this crazy bitch. I hate her. She's cracking me up and I'm trying to be all, all intense here and I can't help it because this, because she's just screaming weird stuff. I hate her. I hate her. I hate her. Suplex. <laughs> and you do that because you have to be able to hear everything she was saying from where she was. And I bet you they were corpsing and we just didn't see it at times. Yeah. Well, Ray has the benefit of the mask and, uh, yeah, no, but I also would have had like Zelina go over there and get an Oscar's face or something like hey, that. Can you be quiet. They're trying to absolutely no, Cause she's a heel and, and Oscar in this context is the zany person who's like funny and sort of de facto in this atmosphere, kind of the babyface figure. So Zelina could be going and getting heat <laughs> by trying to shut up Oscar who we all want to keep talking. There was no reason for her to be out for this match. No, absolutely no. There's no narrative point to this at all. It's like, that's what I'm sitting here wondering. I'm like, usually you have a reason for everything. They just they just wanted to entertain themselves in the back, probably. Is oh, Asuka? yeah. No, this is, I think Asuka even pitched it. I, 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 she might have said Os commentary and like, they're like, yes, Os commentary. Let's do this. She's professing her love for Andrade. She's. (laughs) I just. I'm just like. I don't know what she's on or what kind of crack she's smoking, but I want it every week. And I know a lot of people didn't find this funny. It got grating after a while, and then it went from. There's that. There's that rule in comedy. I think it's Steve Martin who said there. It's a rule of threes and thirty threes. It's funny if you do it three times, and then it's funny if you do it thirty three times. This was the rule of 33s where it got annoying after time seven. And then at, at about time 10, you're just laughing again at how stupid this is. Yeah, you're like, oh, my God, this is still happening. Like, Then your mind starts worrying about, huh, how did this get booked? Like, who came up with this idea? Why is this happening? And meanwhile, as your brain is worrying and thinking about all of that, you're hearing Oscar just going, you know, in her Oscar voice doing commentary stuff and it's it's a lot. Uh it was it was a nice break. It was good comedy, but I mean in terms of good wrestling, uh So between the two NXTs, only one show had actual wrestling on it. Um 
That was NXT UK. Did you get a chance to see this, Chris? I did get a chance to see NXT UK. Chris, I think I think we may have called it last week. For the main event this week, it was uh it was Flash Morgan Webster originally with Mark Andrews and Dave Mastiff versus Gallus in a six man match. But somebody attacked Mark Andrews prior to the match, Chris. And did you see who was standing behind Dave Mastiff when they were checking up on Mark Andrews? No, I didn't. I didn't see that one part. It was the hunt in oh. suits. And Gallus is saying it wasn't us. So I'm thinking I'm thinking we're gonna be rewarded, Chris. I'm I'm now all in on this. Because the hunt looks stupid in suits, uh, but <laughs> but they're at least rewarding you paying attention to who's in the background of these vignettes when they're doing. Yeah, it. no, I, I think that that's important. Um, yeah, this is interesting. I could see the hunt deciding that they don't like people like Flash Morgan Webster, who are and other people in the tag division. But we don't re- put it together for a while. Ah, interesting. I like well, that. Rem- Remember, I mean, it's a mid-card tag feud is all it's going to be. But it's well, also yeah, at the same time, also at the same time, remember, Mastiff was helping out the hunt against right. Imperium. So you have that, hey, he's our friend type of feud as well, if you want. Right. Yeah. No, no. I, I'm, I'm interested to see how this develops for the hunt. Um, but that's an interesting wrinkle. I, I think they needed to be rebuilt. And them hunting people backstage, I think, is actually a good way of giving them a little bit of their edge back. I really liked this NXT UK show. I really did. I thought it was, uh, it had a lot of my favorite people on it. So that helped. Um, Kaylee Ray comes out and destroys Danny Luna. Kaylee Ray, the best champ on any show across the WWE universe. Don't care what you say. She's fantastic. I love it. Yeah, not a ton to say about this. Uh, the right length, um, unlike the other enhancement match we're going to talk about next here, uh, I, I didn't think that this one overstayed its welcome. And I thought and I thought the Piper Niven stare down was nice, especially with the belt kind of being out of arm's reach at the time and uh, Kaylee Ray finally seeing it and going, yeah, you're not getting this right now. I, I thought uh, the aftermath of that was well done. And also, just as a coda, the, the aftermath on... WWE's uh, Twitter slash social media, Danny Luna comes to the back and she is, uh, she is confronted by Ginny who um, it looks like that's going to be a feud next. Cause it looks like Danny Luna is kind of taking the Zaya Brookside role and maybe they're going to elevate Zaya a little bit, hopefully because they kind of have lost track of her. Danny Luna versus Ginny is also kind of a fun, like visual matchup too. Danny Luna, the power lifter, and Ginny, you know, the very leath, very skinny. Yes. Yeah. In the words, lithe. Lithe. There you go. Yeah, uh, I, but I knew what you were saying there. Yeah, I also, uh, as I know to you, just watching Ginny backstage and her cadence and stuff, it's very Sasha Banks in NXT. Very. It's almost. Like she's a doppelganger now, and if that's true, hey, maybe Ginny starts getting built up in this NXT show as well because I, I think she's fantastic. But yeah, I'm, I'm here for a Danny Luna feud. She'd be a fun champion after you get the belt off of Kaylee Ray. Um, e- even having her win it in like a multi-person type of match, um, I, I I would consider getting it onto Ginny. <laughs> Wait, you mean like a six-pack challenge like Sasha might do with Bailey? 
Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily do a six-pack challenge. I, I maybe like a three-way match or whatever, but I'd or a four-way match and have Ginny be like that late ad that you don't think is going to win, and then she wins the title, and that's how she starts her kind of um, unsuspecting run. Uh, I believe I might be out of order here, but I might not be. Did Was the Finn Balor thing next? Yeah, next, uh, Bate wanted uh, to take Finn Balor down a peg. But I liked this whole kind of slacker, and by that I mean Richard Linklater type vibe of of him just kind of walking backstage and everybody kind of seeing, you know, everybody kind of taking notice, people in catering, you know, Trent Sevens talking to it looks like a production assistant. Uh, you know, they're just kind of noticing, okay, Finn Balor's here. And then the one guy who's not going to acquiesce to him is Tyler Bate because he was already called out. I, I loved the stare down here. I liked the little Finn the car is running and Finn just kind of being annoyed by him getting interrupted in his stare down thing. I liked this. Uh, I liked what this did. Yeah, I agree. I, I do like what this did. Um, I still, the tweener Balor character. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know. Lone Wolf Balor, you mean? Sure. Stone Cold Finn Balor? Eh, <laughs> not so much. <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah. And then uh, just to put the code on it, when, when Trent goes to Saint and, uh, and Sid, <laughs> once again, Johnny Saint. Okay, <laughs> that's the, all he needs to do. No, all that's that's to gotta be a gag. Like, like Johnny needs to only ever say like one word, like Silent yes. Bob, and you have Sid Scala explain everything to Johnny Saint, and then Johnny like looks, gets very serious in his face, and says like one word, and sometimes it needs to be like incoherent, like peaches. <laughs> <laughs> and Pudding. then Scala has to explain what that means. Well, what do you mean? <laughs> he means <laughs> that next week absurd. you're going to have a match that's a tag team match. Yeah, I do like Sid's. Uh, Sid always has a, a nice, self-satisfied look after they make after what they make what they think is a big match. So I, I'm loving this new comedy team of Johnny Saint and Sid Scala. <laughs> No, I think Sid Scala is a wonderful performer in this role. I liked him in the ring, too. I thought he actually showed a lot of talent as a guy who could sell in the ring, but I, I love him in this role, and I love that he's satisfied because he his character is trying to put on a good show every week. That's what he does. Also, he likes being able to dole out a little bit of justice, as Sid Scala would perceive justice. Right, and nobody's going to ever F with Johnny Saint. So right, uh, right, right. He has that. He has that cover. I, I like that too. Um, I believe next we had uh, our uh, the uh, Joseph Connors versus Ridge Holland match. Am I right on that? Yeah, yeah. Um, Joseph, I dug this. I dug this a it. whole lot. All right, all right. Tell me. Look, I, I I now now we know why we had to watch Joseph Connors all that time was to build him up so that we could watch Ridge Holland work a little bit from underneath. It wasn't a squash match, but it was a competitive match. I think Ridge Holland is the guy. If he can talk any anything worth a damn, he's going to be huge. Um, and I like that he had, he had to sell the leg a little bit. I think he might have sold a little too much. But I thought Joseph Connors put a perfectly... Uh, 
to quote the Simpsons, cromulent performance here. I, I, yes. thought he, I thought he was good. I thought he was good. I thought he did his job, what he was supposed to do well. And it now explains why they've been building him up all these weeks. I agree with that rationale. However, the actual match I thought was miscast. I would have had Joseph Connors as he's coming down to the ring. Commentary puts him over saying he's been on a hot streak. Joseph Connors is a reinvented man. Connors is, you know, he's here. This is going to be his biggest challenge to date here. And he's in the ring. Holland comes out. Connors gets about a minute 30 and he's in control. Holland takes over. This thing's over in three minutes. Holland leaves, tips the cap, and then you have Connors completely broken. You have to have him get rebuilt. I, I would have had... If you're trying to make Rich Holland the guy, Rich Holland should be the guy. That's the right answer. Rich Holland needs to cut this mountain down like it's nothing. And Joseph Connor's character as this mid-level gatekeeper guy loses nothing by becoming even more insane after this loss. He spent all this time building himself up. He believes that he's worthy. And in three short minutes, Rich Holland showed that he is most obviously not. And for his character, that would be life-shattering. Hmm. I, I get that. I, I uh... I'm looking at this through more a WWE lens, and this is kind of what they do. I, I, I'd much rather Ridge be more dominant going into any match with with a champion. Um, that's yeah, for sure. and, and the other thing is, I don't think that Connors is the greatest fit for mid card gatekeeper for Ridge Holland to overtake for a different mid card guy moving up the roster. Absolutely, for Ridge Holland because we booked him so strong for so long. Ridge Holland should have cut through this guy like a knife through hot butter. Okay. Uh, no, I, I see both ways of that. I'm. They're just never going to do that. that that's no, I, I know. I know. And that, that's, that's where I... So I viewed this as a little bit of a... Not a setback for Ridge Holland, but like a holding pattern rather than a progression. Even though this was meant to be a progression. And then um, we had a recap of um, Devlin's title win and hyping up the match for next week against Travis Banks. You're right. That just just the little <laughs> the laugh after he heard it was Travis Banks is so fantastic. Oh, it's so funny. It's so funny. We got a build to um we got a build to Noam Dar versus A Kid. And I dug this. Um I think it was Spanish they were speaking. Yeah, no, like Dar is a good character actor and there's stuff i like about him he's kind of like a heel answer to sid scala although i think i think i prefer scala's in-ring work but but in, in a similar way both those guys kind of there's something not there um that gets me super excited about you know like a gnome dar match but he's I, jordan I, devlin as a flaky ace is what he is yeah but without the devlin work that I like. Right. Like I like yeah. Devlin's in-ring work whereas Dar's in-ring work has I've always been neutral to slightly cool on. Mm. Cassius Ono <laughs> wrestling super genius. <laughs> uh I dug this. Yeah. I'm not a big Ken. I'm not, I mean Kenny Williams to me. As as you say, and here comes his opponent Kenny Williams. I go Kenny's going to die. I already tune out a little bit, but I like this as a squash. Kenny's supposed to be losing right now, though, too, because we're yeah. building to him turning on Amir. Oh, that's right. That's a story. 
And then uh, finally, the uh, the main event, unless I'm missing something, in the six-man. Trent Seven, once again, one of the best baby faces across the board. Love that guy. Love yeah, him. I know. He's awesome. Yeah, he, he, Everyone's excited when Trent shows up. He is the Dusty Rhodes of this brand. We've said it time and again. He just... He he can really carry. He's awesome. This was straight out of Dusty Magnum and Sam Houston versus the Horsemen six mans on Worldwide, where you know who's going to take this fall based on everybody's pecking order, but it's still a fun match to watch while you're there. I I, I really like this a lot. I, I dug it. Yeah yeah no this is a a very very solid TV main event. Yeah and I think. Uh, I think this play-by-play team works better than Tom and Nigel. Yeah, I just no, I, they they were clicking this week. I, I I think that you know he settled down. I I didn't want to be too hard on the guy last week. Uh, I think this week he settled down, and in the weeks to come, I'm sure he'll watch and listen to his performance, take notes on what worked, what didn't work, and get better and better. That's what you do on the mic. I'd be remiss if I didn't. Uh, if I didn't say thank you to everybody who's given us feedback on the Beyond the Match show that we taped last year, I th- I thought that was that was a really good two hour chat. <laughs> I listened to it again. I, I forgot how much behind the scenes dirt I gave on this show <laughs> uh, in terms of shake them ropes dirt. Uh, but yeah, uh, Beyond the Mat is a great, great documentary. Highly recommend you guys watch it on Netflix. And then give our show a listen as as a postscript. I thought that was uh, and uh, again, thank you for all the nice compliments. You can follow me at Crap Game Thirteen. You can follow Chris at Chris Novembrino. You can follow the show at Shake Them Ropes. Everybody's cooped up doing stuff, and Chris is working on podcasts while he's cooped up. Yeah, podcasts and making music is, is the name of the game over here. Not a whole lot has changed, um, and actually, there will be more Don't Worry About the Governments that were already kind of planned to be increased starting in April here. So if you haven't listened uh, and you want to hear the bi-weekly installments of Don't Worry, those will be coming soon. Check it out at don'tworry.tv. You can find the show on Twitter at DWATG. You can find me at Chris Novembrino. My other show is the All in the Family podcast. If you want to binge watch All in the Family, if you've never seen All in the Family, you want to binge watch All in the Family, watch the first couple of seasons. You can listen to the entirety of the All in the Family podcast and you know hear what me and my co-host Lindsay have to say about All in the Family. So if you have not seen that show, it's a great show. It's really really well written it's very funny uh it's still oddly relevant today but also a really nice history lesson if you don't know a whole lot about the early 1970s the mid 1970s uh, all in the family ends up being a really nice time capsule so check all of those great products out stay safe kids keep playing